Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. This is Ephesians. Ephesians is a book of the Bible. It's actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. He's an early church planner. And he went out and helped plan all these churches and then ended up getting thrown in prison for, for the work that he was doing of spreading the gospel. And so Paul wrote a lot of letters. They're called prison letters. And Ephesians is one of those letters. The first two weeks, we looked at more of a, the individualistic part of our, our, of our faith. Paul talks about that we were chosen by God, that God specifically chose you and chose me. In fact, we were the first pick. I don't know how everybody could be picked first, but we were the first pick that God chose way before we were even born. He knew us. He chose us, predestined us. Last week, we talked about how not only God chose us, but God saved us. We, we laid out what does it mean to be saved? And if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. Hopefully, that would be helpful if you were here to hear that. Today, we're kind of moving from just an individualistic approach to Christianity and, and being being Christian, being a Christ follower, to a group effort. And that's so important as Paul transitions, as we go into end of chapter two of Ephesians into three, and then really the rest of the book that we're looking at, it's not a, that, that being a Christian is not an individual activity. It's, it's a team sport. And we're going to look at this morning, the power of oneness. If Paul would like put together like one section of scripture and, and had a title, it would be this, this is oneness. In a moment, we're going to look at verse 11 that we left off from, and he uses this one phrase that connects it all together, therefore. He talked about what had happened, what was there, why was it therefore, that therefore, it was because of what took place before, that were chosen, that were saved, but why? What is the great purpose? We shared last week how we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God had plan for us in advance to do. That's the good work, but we're not called to do it alone. We're called to do it together, to find unity in oneness. This week, I was thinking about a, a story I heard many years ago, and, and it's just a, it's a cool story of a community. There was a, there was a, it's a Nebraska farmer, and almost every year, his barn would flood. And so he realized he needs to build a new barn or relocate his barn. And so he came up with the idea with his son that they were going to get some help from their community to move the barn, to take it off its foundation and move it to basically about 150 feet away from where the barn was sitting in lower land to a little bit higher ground. Well, require that is they reinforced the whole barn that they needed. And then they put handles on the outside of the barn, just every few feet, and they basically asked the community to come. I don't know how big Bruno, Nebraska is, but it, it probably took the whole town. I guess there was 344 volunteers that showed up. And they all got around the, the, the barn and grabbed on the handles. I guess they did a practice run. Okay, let's just lift it up. Okay, can, can we lift this thing? And then they put it back down. And so what they ended up doing, um, you know, the ultimate one, two, three, they picked up the barn Apparently, it only was about 50 pounds per person to carry, and they scooted close to 100, I think it was 143 feet up to and placed the barn on a new foundation. And I love that story because there's, 
you, if you can lift 50 pounds, you, can, you had hands, you could grab hold of this barn and be a part of a movement. You have to be part of a movement. You have, to, you have to move. And they move together. Great movements move in unity, in oneness. Now, what we're going to look at today, as Paul lays out what oneness looks like, it actually comes against you and I's Americanism as we approach spirituality. They did a study in recent times that there's two things that have happened in America when it comes to, and sociologists have studied this, about spirituality. In the last few decades, two things have happened. One is people actually become more spiritual. Like, cool, that's awesome. When you look at people in the generation before, they would mark that they're more spiritual than the previous generations. That seems like a good thing. Well, the, the challenge with that is, is that as spirituality has, has risen, it's become more individualistic. And what happened is as spirituality went this way as part of an experience, what decreased was institutional religion. Less people want to be about organized spirituality than, than ever. Now, that's a problem when you are a church and you're organizing around spirituality. Actually, a sobering statistic they found was this, that and they answered yes to this. 81% of people answered yes to this question. Do you believe you can be a very good Christian without attending church? 81% of people said, yeah, I could be a very good Christian. I don't, need, I don't need church. See, I think a better question to ask because that question can kind of be loaded with, yeah, I can, I can find ways to grow in my faith and I can you know, find tools. And I mean, we got the internet for crying out loud. I mean, what else do we need, right? But here's probably a better question to ask, and I have it up here, is this. Can God be powerfully at work in your life apart from being a part of Christ's body, the church? As we look here at what Paul writes, and I would say in the entire New Testament, this is the answer. It's a big, fat no. It's a big, fat no. You can't. That, That there is something so powerful that a YouTube channel, a video, a podcast, you know, All those can be great tools and opportunities to grow in your faith, but nothing can substitute life-on-life relationships as part of a church. Nothing can do that. It doesn't matter how wonderful your website is. It doesn't matter how wonderful social media can be for you. Nothing can replace human-to-human relationships, one believer and another believer coming together in unity. And I believe you believe this because you're here today. You found enough value in being here today to be a part of that. And so all that we're going to talk about today does go against the trend that's out there. And Paul, as we're going to look at, I believe, makes some compelling reasons why the church is so valuable today. And when we speak of church, we need to define it this way. It's not just going to church, as much as this is wonderful to be here today and to be worshipfully gathered. team did a great job leading us. And and there's just something wonderful about it. I could, I could worship in my car and, and drive along. It's great. But there's something powerful coming together like this in a larger setting. But it's not just larger settings. It's coming together as we gather in, in small groups and living rooms. It's gathering as some of us are doing now in quads where four of us are getting together and really getting in some intense Bible, Bible studies so that we can reach out to another three or four people in our world. But it, it's more than just, and, it, and it's wonderful, it's, it, it's gathering together to serve a community meal at the senior center. It's 
setting up a glow station in your neighborhood. And, and, and I love what Tyler said, I think with this service, he said, yeah, we just kind of put glow stations in front of houses. I'm thinking, hopefully the people that own the house know that you're putting a glow station. So get permission before. So uh, anyway, but doing those, those kind of things is a great thing. All that makes up the church. It's life on life relationships. And so today I want to talk about this. The win is in the oneness. The win is in the oneness. If, if you want to win in life, you know this, you play, if you play team sports, right? You can have an individual accomplishment. You can score all the points of the team. Your team will probably still lose, right? I love Michael Jordan still is my greatest hero in basketball, still is the greatest, I believe. And I think we, we could all probably say that and argue that. But, but Michael did not win a lot of games in the first few seasons because he had nobody around him to play. He could score 50 points in a game, and they would still lose. It wasn't until the team that came together. And so you know what it's like being on a team, whether it's a sports team, in your work environment, and the project you're doing and accomplishing. Team wins every single time. Oneness wins every single time. And it's so important to be a part of that. And that's what movement is about. And so now we're getting, as I mentioned, therefore, Paul talks about it, transitioning to this group work, this group effort as the church. He says this in verse 11. So turn with me, Ephesians 2. It's on the screen. You can follow along. It says this, therefore, remember the formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Now, if you're here today and you do not know what circumcision means, Tyler will be in the back after the service <laughs> to explain that to you, okay? That's just part of training as a pastor is something that he needs to do and articulate it well. And so he'll help you with that. No pressure, Tyler. Actually, if you're a kid here, you don't know, just talk with mom and dad. Ask them. It's a great lunch conversation today. Because you're sitting at Bob's. Hey, mom, dad, what is that? <laughs> Ephesians 2.11 goes on. And they says, verse 12, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. Now, reading that going, whoa, without hope and without God in the world. Paul is basically talking about this is that, there one time, and if you understand biblical history, there was a select group of people called the Israelites, God's chosen people. And it was the, the, these, this Jewish people that were God's promised people. And so before Jesus, if you wanted to truly know God, to be close to God, be near God, you had to be a citizen of Israel. How do you become a citizen of Israel? You have to be born Jewish. And so Paul's saying to the Ephesians, Hey, you Ephesians and hey, you Americans here, you once were alienation. You were once separated, foreigners to the covenant of promise and have no hope and without God in the world. So this is crucial that Paul is laying out to us that this, hey, without Christ, there is no hope. There's no way you to understand you are an outsider. And so you got to get this is that when God, the gospel is first preached and Paul's explaining this, it was written to a group of people a smaller group of people. And at first the gospel went to the Jewish people and then it extended a little bit further to, to the Samaritans. And it sent a little more into the people, of the Mediterranean. And so at the time when they're thinking all people to be reached in the whole world, it really was Jewish people, Greek people 
and probably some Italians, okay? That was pretty much when it hit Rome. That was it. Everybody outside of that, that, that Roman world were considered barbarians. And in their minds, it was like, you know, you know, village people, like, you know, like, you know, dressed like cavemen and had clubs and they painted their faces and they act crazy and they just did crazy stuff, kind of like NFL fans, right? Just crazy people. They just didn't, they, 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 they're so far, not even to think that there would even be any kind of intelligent thought of knowing God and understanding God. That's what the world was like back then. So what was, what, what was happening was, is that Paul's saying, listen, it's not about ethnicity. It's not about, you have to be in the same place, and you have to be with the same people. No, there's, there's only one type of people he's talking about here. It's not all these different peoples. There's only one type of people, Paul points out here, is sinners. That's the only type. And with that, we need to understand whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, whether you're Greek or Italian, whatever, it doesn't matter. Whether you're, you were born and bred here in America, okay? You're Irish, you're, you were Canadian, doesn't really matter. What matters is the fact that every single person here is helpless, but not hopeless. So if you want to put this in your notes, you can write this in, is that the win to be one is this, know that outsiders become, can become insiders. The outsiders can become insiders. Verse 13, he says, but now, by now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, what are the two groups? Jewish, non-Jewish, and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. Now, this dividing wall hostility is an interesting phrase. It actually comes, as I understand and study it this week, it comes from there was the wall around the temple that protected people from the outsiders, the non-Jewish people, to come in and be with the Jewish people. It was that the wall is where God, this inside this temple is where God would dwell. And the, the Jewish people, the chosen people, got to be near God and worship God. Um, people on the outside weren't allowed. In fact, there was a sign that said, no Gentiles allowed. They, there was a wall, and, and they basically, like, and that, so there was hostility probably, right? Like, hey, that's not fair. We want to get close. And, and so be, but before we go, how rude of those Jewish people, we need to understand, understand the walls in our own life. Every single culture has walls. Walls define what your values are. And on the surface, it's not a bad thing, right? You have, you have walls and protection. You have rules in your company. You have an employee handbook. These are the guidelines. These, it's good to have boundaries. Nothing wrong with that. But what walls do is, if, if not, probably not always on purpose, but some can be intentional, walls are to keep the good people in, and, and we quote, the bad people out. The the Jews are looking like, okay, there's bad people and there's unclean people and they got to stay out. We've got to protect our people. And that was, that was really more than anything of this preservation. But yet psychologists have even found in the human nature, this is true, that what we do is we, it, it drives our self-justification and it has to do with our, our insecurities that go with it. The, the more you're insecure and deal with insecurity, the more walls you put up and to protect yourself, to preserve who you are, or groups of people who you are. And it's interesting, in our, in, you know this in, in your, in your uh, life, is that as much as you try to be individualistic, you remember, you know, in, in, as a teenager, and you're kinda, you want to separate yourself from your parents. Did you ever do this with your kids? Your kids do this, like you're walking down the street and they don't really want to walk with you anymore. 
I'm like, what's wrong with me? You know? And I go, oh, I did that with my mom too. You know, I just wanted to be on my own. I wanted to, I wanted to be who I was, but I wasn't who I was. I wanted to be like my friends. And so I look like them, dress like them, and I wanted to be part of a social group. And we did this. And, and, and where it was personified was the high school cafeteria. Just thinking about that's painful, right? When you had to show up and you try to find what, what group of people do I go have lunch with? My decade, it was the it was the jocks, it was the the nerds, and there was also there was the geeks. Now the geeks rule the world. We all know that they they own all the all the the, the computer companies in the world and technology. But back then, you try to find a place to fit in, and it continues on. Is that we try to put walls and dividing walls all around us in certain ways to separate ourselves and in our insecurity to lift ourselves up that brings other people down. So we view people who have more money as more important. We, we find the political persuasion. It's at an all-time high. Talk about hostility. If I, if I bring up the name Sean Hannity, there can be cheers on one side and you know, mocking on the other. On the opposite, I bring up Anderson Cooper. And then, and then there's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you already got bad thoughts. Me just bringing it up, some of you that watch the news, right? It's racism at an all-time high. So this is really relevant for us. Paul is speaking the same stuff, the same issues are going on that day or happening this day. Uh, this day, there's hostility. and But the hostility, we got to understand it's not a political thing. It's not a money thing. It's not, a, it's not an ethnic thing that separates people out. What separates us all out where we're all on the outside, we're all on the outside and the wall of hostility, hostility, hostility is put up is sin, is sin. Sin is this. It, it doesn't mean if you're a good person or a bad person or a winner or a loser or people who have it together or dysfunctional people. There's only one type of people and it's dead people. Last week we talked about Ephesians 2.1 that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. We're dead. We're dead. That's, and without Christ, we are dead people, dead sinners on the outs. And that's why Christ came. He brought us near to God because of his blood. He tore down the walls of hostility. When Jesus died, when he bowed his head and he said, it is finished. Scripture records and in history records that the, 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 the curtain was torn in two in the temple that separated the, the holiness of God to the people. God did that through Christ so that we not only can be on the outside in, but you know what? This is the power of the win and the oneness is this, becoming a brand new people. That you and I, we can become a brand new people. Look at verse 15. He said, Paul says this, by setting aside in his flesh, Jesus did this, the law which commands his regulations, his purpose was to create in himself. What did Jesus do? One new humanity out of two thus making peace in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which to put to death their hostility. What was the hostility? The hostility was this, that we were separated from a holy God. And that God, as we talked last week, was God's wrath. They'll come on, talk about hostility. We, the hostility was between us and God, and Jesus broke that wall so that we can be in a relationship. But what's so powerful is this, with this work that Christ did, and as we receive Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we need to understand it's a regeneration. It's not a remodel. 
it, it, that our lives, if, it's not because we, when we come to Christ that we get more of an improved life or we get a remodeled life. We actually get a brand new life. Scripture, Paul says in, in another place, he says, we are, we, are, uh, he, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. And this is radical. This is a radical work that was happening. Paul is saying, you, there's a whole new humanity that is formed. It's not Jewish, non-Jewish. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter your creed. It doesn't matter if you're American or Canadian. There's a whole type of people. There's only one people. And what's so powerful is this. He's basically saying, you are now the new Israel. You are now the new Israel. The church is the new Israel. And it doesn't go against all the work. And God still has a special work that he's doing with the, with the, the nationality of, of people that are Jewish in the state of Israel. There's all that goes on with that. I'm not going against any of that. I'm just saying, Paul is saying here, we're a new Israel. We're, there's a new covenant relationship that we have that he is going to fulfill. And God will bring it all together. Uh, one day, it'll all come together, how we all understand what's going to take place. But there's this hope. And the hope is this. You and I are not hoping hopeless. You and I are not on the outside. We're, we can be on the inside and not just be a, new, a newer us, but we can be a brand new us, this body of people coming together. And that's what brings us together is Jesus and what Jesus has done. When I uh, talked to Shana just a couple of weeks ago, and he's sharing his experience at in the YOM in, in Hawaii, it's called the University of Nations. And all these different you can think of all these different nationalities come together and they get trained and they go back out and they go out and reach the world for Christ. He said, there's just something amazing and all these ethnic groups and all these nationalities come and they worship the same Jesus. That's got a little bit of heaven, isn't it? That we'll experience one day. That is oneness in Christ that we come together. And I tell you, that's what breaks the walls of hostility of racism. It breaks the walls of this propensity of self-justification for what we want. Say, no, no, we're a new people. I'm not just this way. Now, there's nothing wrong with ethnicity. There's nothing wrong with culture. Don't get me wrong that we all have to be kind of vanilla, this is the way, cookie cutter thing. No, not, not at all. There's something beautiful about all the different cultures, but we cannot let our heritage get ahead of Christ. Jesus is our leader. Jesus is our king. Jesus is, and the church is our people, a, a people that once we were on the outside, now we're on the inside. And we'll talk in a minute here about reaching out to those on the outside that need Christ. All because of the good news of Jesus who tears down these walls. And I think it was so powerful when we get an understanding what Jesus has done and our view of ourselves, it gives us this capacity to reach out to others on the outside. I, I wrote this week, I don't know how profound it is, maybe it'll help you, but it helped me, that is this, that the depth of our gratitude of God's grace in our life equals the degree of compassion we have for others. The, degree, the depth of our, our gratitude of God's grace in our life equals the degree of compassion we have for others. I find for myself when I'm feeling, not just feeling good about myself, but I'm feeling like I'm really walking my relationship with the Lord, I just have a greater capacity in the, for others. When I get a appreciative of God's grace in my life, how he saved me from loneliness and pain and hurt and brokenness to this new life I have and gave me this uh, wonderful life. And though it's not always easy, but this life of purpose and direction and identity in my life, I can't help at times like, man, I'm so grateful for what you have done. Yesterday, it was, we were, uh, I was waiting for my wife and daughter outside Trader Joe's and I got my groceries and everything. And and so I had a little bit of time, you know, like, okay, I can wait in the car. I was listening to the Husky game. And then I, I passed by a homeless guy. And I just, you know, you see people all the time. And, and, and I 
loaded my groceries and I just felt prompted. And, and I looked in my bag and there's granola bars. I'm like, I'm just going to bring the guy a granola bar. But I have the opportunity just to talk to the guy. And I'm waiting for them. I had time to kill. And I just wanted to kind of engage him. I didn't have an agenda for him. Like, okay, I'm going to pray with him. And he's going to need, he's going to need Jesus and anything like that. I just thought, hey man, do you want a granola bar? He goes, hey, thanks. And it just felt like God just saying, just talk with him like a normal person. Have a normal conversation rather than people walk around and, you know, and here you go. I just thought, hey, I can at least offer that. I engaged him. He was a Vietnam vet. He had been in Afghanistan, served two tours. And here he's homeless. He's been living in his car and he's waiting for some funds to come in. And he's doing this. And I said, man, you look kind of clean cut. Like you don't look like a homeless person. He goes, well, I'm actually, you know, kind of shaved and took, got a haircut because I'm going to, I'm trying to get a job. I'm like, oh, good for you. And that was pretty much it, the conversation. Like you're, you're probably like, oh, did you pray with them? And you're a pastor or anything like that? Nope. God reminded me not to do that. <laughs> you're like, not pray with them? Yeah, I'm going to treat them normal. Like I'm not going to Jesus juke them. I'm not going to do something like to do some kind of spiritual thing or like that. No, God didn't prompt me. He could have had me pray for him. And the door wasn't open for that. But you know what? It's one seed that's planted. It's this heart and this desire when there's outsiders reach, help them become insiders. And we can be one small step. Just one dude coming up, giving a guy an old bar and having a normal conversation. Who knows where that can lead to? And so let me challenge you with this. It's easy maybe to reach out to the homeless person. That's something we do. But you know that the, the people out there that are outsiders to bring in the inside, it's our view of them. See, how do you view the person at work that everybody can't stand? How do, you, how do you see the grumpy neighbor that everybody in your neighborhood avoids? Okay, kids do not trick or treat at that house. Right? How do you treat that needy friend that takes so much of your time? How you view yourself in the, in the level of God's grace will give you compassion for others because you're going, man, I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. This is all, I'm a brand new. Who do you know needs to be brand new? Who do you know that you can reach out to that needs to be outside to be on the inside? But we are a created group of people. We are one together. It's this people that God has for us. And when we have the confidence in the Lord of who we are, it's easier to reach out to the outsiders to become insiders who will reach out the outsiders. Now, for the win and the oneness is know this, as Paul goes on here, as we talk about is having full and equal access to the Father. When we win in oneness is having full and equal access to the Father. Paul goes on, he says this, he says, he says, Jesus came, preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we have both access to the Father by one spirit. When I think of the access to the Father, I think of one of my favorite stories in history, and I don't know if this is historically accurate, but it's a cool story, is uh, there's a Civil War soldier, and all his male family members had been killed off in the war. Dad, brothers are all gone. All that's left is his mom and some sisters. And so he made a, uh, there's exemption. If, if they're all gone, male, male, male and your family, you could go back home and care for your, the rest of your family. But he got denied this exemption. So denied over and over. And finally, he went to the White House. Now, back in the day, a little bit different than, you know, probably changed after the Civil War, but basically he had a little more access to the White House, but he could not get in to talk to anybody in, in the, the president's office, especially the president alone. But as he's out there, this boy comes up to him, gauges him in conversation, and pretty soon he finds himself passing the guards, going up, and he walks in, the, the, the kid walks in, doesn't he knock at the, the Oval Office door? And he comes in and Abraham Lincoln is standing there and says, Todd, who's your friend? Introduce me to him. 
Oh, this is such and such. He, you know, and so this, this guy was able to talk to the president, get access to the president on the spot. The president hears his case and gives him exemption. Now, I don't know if that's entirely true or not. It's a cool story, isn't it? But it picture, it, the picture of it is this, is that through the son, we have access to the father. Through Christ and what he did on the cross for us, we have full permission. The Bible says in Hebrews that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence, that that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I think we can go even further. It's not just in our time of need, but a friendship and a relationship with God. See, can I, can I assure you here, you don't need a priest, you don't need a pastor, you don't need, you don't need your small group leader, you don't need a caring connection person here as much as those folks who love to pray with you. You don't need anybody to help you get to God. Jesus did that work through his blood. He signed it, the peace treaty for us, that we can approach a holy God because we're covered under the blood of Christ. And we can, and we can just hear the Father say, what is it you want? How can I help? And really, more than our needs that he wants to meet is a relationship with us as a people, not just individually, but as a group of people that we together can approach God in such a holy and reverent way because of what Christ did. That's the ultimate oneness that we can have. But to see another win in our oneness is this, what it leads to is this, is becoming people, not a building, not building a place that God dwells. Paul talks about this in verse 19 about becoming a people. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but now fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Paul lays it out. You, you know, you've heard not to mix your metaphors. He has a ton of his three metaphors here right away. He says that we are, when we're in Christ in the, on the inside, we are citizens of one kingdom. God's the king. We're his subjects. We're members of God's household. We're, God is our, our our dad, and we're his kids. And then there's a third one we don't talk about much. So powerful is this, we are builders of God's temple. God is the general contractor. In fact, he goes on further, says, Paul says that the, really the very bricks of the building, which the church is built upon, are, we're a part of. And, and Jesus is the chief brick. He's the chief cornerstone. If you ever played Jenga, you know how important it is that that one, you know, piece. It's kind of the, the linchpin. You don't want to pull that one piece out because it all comes coming down, crashing down. And that's what Christ is. He's that cornerstone piece where everything is built upon. And that's what Paul says in verse 21. In him, Jesus, the whole building is joined together. And I picture like the Holy Spirit, the mortar, bringing and holding it all together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, gosh, what does that mean? Well, it's so powerful. It's so amazing. Paul contrasts what the physical temple was, where there's only a select group of people that could worship God and be near God. And now Paul's saying, because of Christ, it's, the temple's not a place, it's a people. See, that's so true individually to know that God's dwelling place is not in a building, it's in a body. Us personally, when you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. Years ago, when I was first a Christian, they talked about this room right here where we gather for services. It was called the sanctuary. Nothing wrong with calling that, but it's not very theological. The sanctuary, where's the sanctuary? It's right here. We're, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Romans. But even further, not just individually that we're, we're the temple of God, we are the temple of God together in this 
place, but it's not the place. If there's nobody in this building, it's not the church. It's just a building. It's just an old barn. I've been here by myself. It's a really old barn. It kind of smells sometimes, and it's kind of cold sometimes, and it's just like, it's just an old building. And I'm grateful for the old building. It's an old building. But when I come together on a Sunday morning and you're gathered and we're gathered here and you come in and there's music playing and there's heat in the building and there's people and, and there's this fresh smell of coffee that helps and that gives us experience and we're all together in this place, there's something powerful. And what it is is that we're the church. Jesus said when two or three are gathered, he's here. We're part of it. Last Tuesday evening, we cast vision for CTK Blaine. And it just tells you again that we're not a church to be in a place where we can be in places because it's not about places. It's about a people, us being sent from as his people. See, when you go back to work tomorrow, the church goes to work. When you go back to school, the church goes to school. Oh, I thought there was separation of church and state. Nope. If you're a student that loves Jesus, the church goes to school. They can't, they can't stop that. Church goes to church goes to store because you're going to the store. That's why the church is so powerful. We unite together. And when we unite together, there's an unstoppable force. And what I love about the fact that when we're the church and we're by ourselves, meaning you're at your workplace and there's no other Christians, or you're at school and there's no other students that are Christians, you're not alone because you know there's people over here, there's people over here, there's people over here. They're coming together and it's not under some brand name like Christ the King or anything like that. It's actually under the Christ church, God's one church, united to Together. And what it leads to is ultimately the purpose of it all. And the very reason for we are to be one. It's this it's a mystery revealed. The mystery has been revealed, and the mission is now ours to share. And as we get into chapter one, these final verses before we pray together, listen to this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, and that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written previously. And he's written in other letters, but he's really referencing chapter one, where he says, here's the mystery. And the mystery that he's about to share is how God dealt with humanity. Here is it going to be solved. Paul goes on, he says, in reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight in the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the people in other generations, that meaning the Old Testament, people didn't get it quite get it all, as of now revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets. Paul's saying here, listen, when Christ died, he rose again and ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came and then revealed it to the apostles, who he really is. And the start of the church and this foundation that these guys left, now 30 years later, Paul comes to these guys that are far from God. They had no clue. They don't have any Jewish background. They're not even part of this. So you're a part of it as well. And that God wants to build upon it. He wants to reveal his mystery through. And he shares with us the mystery revealed. Okay? There was a drum roll. Please, we could do that. But here it is. This is the mystery. It's that through, here it is, the gospel... The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul says the mystery is revealed. It's the gospel, not just a gospel to good news to a group, small group of people, not just a few people, not just to the, to the, to the Greeks and to the Italians and to the Jews. No, no, no. It's to the barbarians, us, the whole world gets to experience Jesus. If, 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 if Paul was Oprah, okay? 
He would say, you get Jesus, you get Jesus, you get Jesus. Everybody gets Jesus, okay? That's what he's saying. That's the mystery. What's the mystery? It's Jesus, the gospel, that the gospel's for everybody. But he's challenging us. He's challenging them. He's challenging us today. For the gospel to win hearts over, we have to be one. We have to be one, and he calls us to oneness. Listen, we live in a hostile, divided world that desperately needs to find a place of belonging, a place of acceptance, and a place of of forgiveness, a place where there's no racism, there's no preferences, there's no judgment. There's nothing matter your background, doesn't matter your experiences. It's one Jesus, one Lord, one baptism overall, and one body together. That's the dream. That's the hope. That's the desire that we are a part of. And Paul's saying it's been fulfilled. It's already taken place. It's solved. It's taken, it's all accomplished. Now it's time to live it out. I'd like our team to come. I asked this opening question. I want to put it back up on the screen. After all that you heard, did we answer this question? Can God be powerful at work in your life from being a part of Christ's body, the church? I hope you know the answer is still a big fat no. Still a big fat no. You can't. You might be able to survive, maybe. I even doubt that. In the years that can go on and saying, I could just be a Christian on my own. And many people do. We're not called to have an individualistic experience. You might have live a good life and Pray every day and read your Bible and great. Who cares? You're going to heaven. There's a whole world out there that desperately needs, and there's no way we can do it on our own. It's us coming together and uniting together. See, if we want to, we want to win. Who really wins? Well, we can win because we're one. But when we come together and it's one, and we reach out in such a way, who wins is this community out there. Who wins is the people that in our workplaces, the people we go to school with, the people that are lost and hurting broken. They can win because of our oneness. Jesus prayed for that. Do you know that Jesus' last prayers are all about oneness? He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for the church in the first century. But then he prayed for us thousands of years later. Jesus knew how to pray. And he prayed for us and he said these words, Father, just as you are in me, I'm in you. May they also be one so the world will know they may believe that you have sent me. So the world will know that you have and believe that you have sent me. May that be our prayer. May that be our heart and desire that we would be one so the world would know. Will you bow with me in prayer today? I really feel prompted this service that there's some that are feeling on the outside today. And I want to be sensitive to that today right now. I just feel like, man, there's somebody, there's somebody here today, maybe a few people that, and this is why I want to be sensitive, but I, I just hear me on this. I, you, it's your fault that you're on the outside. And, and just hear my heart on this that you just check a little bit because it's easy to play the victim. It's easy to say, well, man, that group of people, they, they didn't accept me. They didn't, I, I never could fit in. I never could find that group and everything. I want you to know it takes a ton of work to fit. It takes a ton of work. It takes a lot of our, our giving away ourselves. 
to surrender to the Lord and surrender to other people. But I also want to say that, that uh, our heart goes out to you because many of us have been there before. We've been rejected and we hurt. We didn't quite just fit into this group. I want you to know at Christ the King, our heart and our prayer is that you find your people. Not just the people in the church and being a part of the banner of Christ and Christ the King, but your people in a small group, your people in a serving team, your people be, be able to accomplish the mission. And it takes a ton of work to see that fulfilled. So if that's you today, I hope you hear my heart on that. I want to speak the truth and love that don't give up. And I want to pray for you today. If you're feeling on the outside and want to get on the inside. But for some of us here, maybe we're not on the inside because we don't know Christ. I tell you, there's no hope without Jesus. There's no hope to be on the inside track with God and the inside track of what he's wanting to accomplish in this world without him. So I want to pray for you today in that. But I want to pray also specifically for people that, and you're here today, but this value of being a part of the church, that God will give us the the vision to say it is important, not just to be under a, a roof one hour a week, but, but to be his church, to be one so that we can reach the community, that we could partner together in prayer here for that. God, first, I want to lift people today that are feeling on the outs, Lord, for whatever that is. And, and the, the reality is they've had some hurt in their past, Lord. Somehow they've been rejected. Some things they did or didn't do, that they, they didn't come from a certain family or they didn't weren't a part of a certain community thing or whatever it might be. It might have been things they've done that caused them to be ostracized from that, Lord. Whatever that might be, God, will you just reach out to him today, right now, Lord, and say, you can be on the inside. You can be inside with me in relationship with me. And then there's people here that love. There's people there that that care that, God, you would help them be able to work at that and to work hard at that, to surrender any kind of victim mentality, to surrender any kind of pride, to surrender any kind of of hurt and pain, that unforgiveness, Lord, that they can give that over to you so they they can find community. We all need that, Lord. We all need to find oneness. But Lord, I pray as we, as we go from here, God, that we can be the people that as we're united together as one, we're not like looked as an outside, an inside group that outsiders can't come in, but we will be arrows out, that we will be looking outward. I almost picture like holding hands, but outward. We're looking outward for others to join in and be a part of it, God. And I, I, I lift uh, the glow stations this week. I pray that we could be an outlet. We can be moments that we can care and reach out to the people around us. In, in intentional ways and unintentional ways, the people that we pass by and the opportunities, God, you give, that we can be one in our identity and knowing that even when we're by ourselves, we're not alone. We're, we're part of this great mission that you called us to, to be a people that we've gathered and now sent from to go as your sending church into this world that desperately needs to be one with you. God, may we be one, Lord, so the world will know that you have sent Jesus and that they can find peace, rest, and truth in your salvation, we pray in Jesus' name.